an old saying, better late than never. Hopefully it is true because this podcast is definitely late, but it's better than not ever doing it. It's 12 hours at least later than I normally get my Wednesday podcast out, but it's Wednesday night, so technically still Wednesday, and you'll have this in your podcast feed hopefully by hmm, maybe 10 p.m. Bruce Hooley here. We Tackle Life podcast here. Glad to be with you, and we have football to talk about. Honestly, I thought I was done with this topic. I thought I was done with Kevin Warren and the ineptitude of the Big Ten, but sadly, no, as the Big Ten did the angry girlfriend thing, they try the bounce back, save the relationship, save face move, and instead look more ridiculous than ever before. So we will get to all of that. <laughs> what? What? I thought the Bowl Alliance was dead, right? And do those of you who remember the BCS, do you remember the Bowl Alliance? The Bowl Alliance was the precursor to the BCS. Uh, one of two. I don't remember. The Bowl Coalition. I don't remember the Bowl Coalition was before the Alliance or the Alliance was before the Coalition. Everybody hated both of them. And now the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC have decided to join forces and conquer the SEC. Because doggone it, in the Big Ten and in the ACC and in the Pac-12, we care about academics. We, we really care about academics. Um, okay, good for you. You belong to some hoity-toity academic organization, and you're going to show Greg Sankey and the SEC how big and bad and bold and benevolent you are. Good. Go at it. Uh, we'll get to all of that after I remind you that if you want something bold, and benevolent, you want Hemisphere Coffee. It's bold, tasting, awesome, and it's benevolent because it helps ministries grow around the world in foreign countries where they, mm -hmm, not coincidentally, grow great coffee. Handpicked, every bean, Indonesia, Nicaragua, Thailand, some of the countries that they buy their coffee from directly, ship it right to your door, free shipping on orders of $30 or more, so it is a mammothly good deal for you. And a better deal when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps, you get 15% off. And I would appreciate it if you did that because then Hemisphere knows that listeners to the We Tackle Life podcast continue to love their coffee and love their mission and the combination of the two. So WETACKLELIFE at gmail.com is our email address, but WETACKLELIFE is the promo code for you to get 15% off at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Com. Spiels loves it. Everybody loves it. Nobody doesn't love Hemisphere. Okay. So you remember, what, a month ago, six weeks ago, the SEC already, far and away, the best football conference in America, year in, year out, adds, out of the blue, Texas and Oklahoma. Shockwaves throughout college football. Oh, my goodness. Is the SEC going to add couple of more schools? Are they going to poach Ohio State and Michigan? Are they going to put together a 20-team super conference and leave everybody in the background? I actually said at the time, Ohio State should call the SEC and should try to make its best deal. It's every man for himself, every man for himself. But Ohio State has this ridiculous attitude that a rising tide raises all boats. Somebody a long time ago said that. Some guy probably in a boat that was sinking because the tide was rising and he had a hole in his boat. Maybe he was Admiral Kevin Warren. I don't know. But it sounds good, and Ohio State has adopted that attitude. That, oh, isn't it wonderful 
that we are in the Association of American Universities with the eggheads from Northwestern and Nebraska, Michigan, Michigan State, blah, 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 blah. And we're combining our research and we're doing all kinds of cool pipe-smoking things with our tweed jackets on at the faculty club. Yes, it's brilliant. Ah, brilliant. Thank you, Chauncey. I'll have another little bit of uh, cigar, if you will, please. Yes, they love to be high-minded academics in the Big Ten. And the ACC, Duke, North Carolina, they're all snooty. I used to have a t-shirt that said, North Carolina, we're not snobs. We're just better than you. That's the attitude in Chapel Hill and in Durham. And so they get together with their friends on the West Coast, the Pac-12, which is like uh, picking up a hitchhiker and letting him drive your Tesla. Uh, I don't understand at all why the ACC and the Big Ten think they need the Pac-12. Yes, I know. Big Ten and Pac-12 are partners in the Rose Bowl. That and we tackle life in all caps. We'll get you 15% off at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Okay? Like, when is the last time the Pac-12 has been relevant in football? When Reggie Bush played at USC, and Reggie Bush is retired from the NFL. By the way, give Reggie his Heisman back. Okay, so the SEC trumps everybody's ace. Kevin Warren, the Big Ten, they have no idea. Texas and Oklahoma are even looking around. Bob Bowlesby, former athletic director at Iowa, wouldn't you know, the Big 12 commissioner trained for getting blindsided by being the athletic director at Iowa. He has no idea that his top two teams are unhappy with their TV revenue, and they're looking around for new membership. And they make a call to Greg Sankey. And Greg Sankey is supposed to do what? If you listen to all the people who are bemoaning this and lauding the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC for, oh, you show the SEC, you get together in the alliance. Oh, ho, ho, wow. We're joining forces. Fantastic. What was Greg Sankey supposed to do when Texas and Oklahoma called? Hey, Greg, this is Bevo and Boomer Sooner on the phone, and we're unhappy with our TV revenue in the Big 12. We would like to make more money. We here at the SEC, you just signed a new deal with ESPN, and all your members are going to be making $300 million a year. That sounds good to us. Would you be interested in us being members of the SEC? According to these dopes who live in a world where unicorns fly and it rains cotton candy, Greg Sankey was supposed to say, well, thank you for your kind offer, Bevo and Boomer, but... To preserve the integrity of college athletics and the collegiality, I feel it is my duty to tell you that you should stay members of the Big 12 and be loyal to all the other underlings who have been sucking on you for years and years and years. Yes, continue to let Iowa State and Kansas State and Oklahoma State bleed you dry. Sure, Greg Sankey does that. What are Bevo and Boomer Sooner going to do? They're going to hang up the phone and they're going to say, hmm, I guess we'll have to call the Big Ten. I guess we'll have to call the ACC. Because guess what? If they want out of the Big 12, they have other better options than the Big 12 in, Ohio, in the Big Ten and the ACC. But their best option is the league that most recently signed a TV rights deal, and that's the SEC. So... Off with your head, 
If you even for one second thought that Greg Sankey was under any obligation to look out for anybody's best interest but Greg Sankey's and the SEC, because I guarantee you, if they had called Kevin Warren, once he picked his jaw up off the floor and looked him up on the map, because he probably doesn't know who they are, he would have said, oh, let me get back to you. No, I actually have a tea time. Can you call tomorrow? And then they would have called the ACC, and they'd be in the ACC. But, no, seriously, they would have called another league if the SEC didn't take them. How stupid. So, now, the SEC is, they're the bully that depantsed the nerd and stuck his head in the toilet and did a swirly on him. And the formation of the alliance by the Big 12 and the Big 10, or excuse me, by the Pac-12, the Big 10, and the ACC is like the three of them after getting a swirly in the toilet administered by the bully who hung them upside down by their feet, their snippy, snarky response to that treatment is to shake the water out of their hair, look at the SEC and say, well, we didn't drown. I mean, that's all they got, the formation of the Alliance. Oh, my goodness. What is this, the Justice League? Are they like, you know, superheroes the Alliance? Is Kevin Warren going to start shooting, you know, laser beams out of his wrists? I don't think so. Oh, man, I can't even explain to you. When I saw this on Twitter, I didn't have to research this one bit. When I saw this on Twitter, oh, the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 have formed the alliance to combat the ACC. The first thing I thought was, Greg Sankey is rolling on his office floor laughing at this. He is absolutely rolling on the office floor laughing at this. Like, that's all you got? You're going to form the alliance? You're going to team up academically? Ooh, you're going to schedule each other in non-league games? Ooh, is that supposed to make the SEC quake in fear? If the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC commit to scheduling each other in non-conference games, and Ohio State no longer schedules Akron and OU and Toledo and schools like that, who is that going to help? Oh, that's going to help. Da, 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 the SEC, because it gives Ohio State a better chance of getting beaten in the non-conference if they're playing other Power 5 teams than if they're feasting on Mid-American Conference opponents and similarly mismatched opponents. So this is just stupid on so many levels in terms of it being a face-saving measure, and it's just par for the course for what a dope Kevin Warren is. Perfect, perfect, perfect mic drop moment. The day after the alliance is announced to great fanfare, oh, we'll show you, SEC. We're going to schedule each other. USC announces a new pre a new contract for a non-league game with Alabama. <laughs> How stupid do you look, Big Ten and Pac-12 and ACC? When the day after you announce your big, bold counter move, oh, by the way, USC would also like to announce that they're playing Alabama. Hmm, yeah. Oh, by the way, 
What about those future contracts Ohio State has for home and homes with Georgia and Texas and Alabama? Now, you would think if they're really going to hit the SEC where it hurts, they'd cancel those contracts, right? No, they're going to honor those contracts. So, hey, it's like the Big 12, it's like the Big 10, the Pac-12 and the ACC said, hey, we're going to show you, SEC, we're going to schedule some really good teams in our non-conference just as soon as we finish all our contracts with you because we don't want to give back the money we're going to make by having your teams come up and play in our stadiums. Oh, my goodness, this could not be a more lame response by the Big Ten. But if Kevin Warren's behind it, of course, it's going to be lame. So that's my take on the Grand Alliance. I can't believe they're actually sports writers falling for this banana in the tailpipe. It's not only a banana in the tailpipe. The tailpipe is rusted and the banana is rotten. So all you need to know, all you need to know is that there is no formal agreement between these leagues. It is all done on a handshake. As if to say, we are men of honor in the Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC. We are not like those carpetbaggers down south who all they want to do is win national championships, beat us by 30 points, and win the crystal football four out of every five years. Oh, no. We have a higher mission than that. Yeah. Okay, so let me get this straight, Big Ten. All those guys at Alabama, you wouldn't have recruited Devontae Smith? You wouldn't have recruited Mac Jones? You wouldn't have recruited those guys? Oh, you would have, huh? Oh, you did. Ah, uh, okay. Nanji Harris, yeah, he'd look pretty good in a Big Ten uniform, wouldn't he? But he's playing at Alabama. So don't give me the whole academic superiority thing because you would have recruited every one of those five stars on Bama last year and every year. So give it a rest. Nice try. You're better to do nothing than to do something. The, the lamest excuse always is, well, we got to do something. What are we going to do? I don't know, but we got to do something. No, actually, you don't have to do something because there is no counter move. I mean, to meet. When they got together and thought, okay, so Oklahoma and Texas joined the SEC. What are we going to do? Some smart guy, Gene Smith, Ward Manuel from Michigan, Jim Phillips, the new AD. Uh, the old AD at Northwestern, now ACC commissioner, the new Pac-12 commissioner whose name I can't pronounce and really have no earthly reason why I'd ever need to learn it. Please tell me somebody in that room, somebody had the presence of mind to sit up and say, guys, ladies, gentlemen, there is no counter move to Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. Thank you. Have a nice flight home because there is no counter move to that. Utterly ridiculous. So more of the same under the feckless, limp leadership of Kevin Warren in the Big Ten offices. Should have fired him six weeks ago when I told you to, but no, you have to persevere. Now, if you want to persevere with a legal matter, I highly recommend my law firm, Willis Spangler Starling. They're located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. Phenomenal people. Utmost integrity character. Wide-ranging expertise. 
employment law, social security disability, personal injury, wills estate planning, probate. That right there is about 90% of cases in your court system, and they handle all of it. They have partners devoted with specialties in each discipline. They are adding to their practice all the time. They are growing, but not so big that they lose their personal attachment and identification to you. So make sure when you are looking for an attorney to represent you in any matter, whether you are pressing the action or one is being pressed against you, that you have your legal rights protected by the attorneys from Willis Spangler Starling. They are online at willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. Phenomenal people. Remember that name, Willis Spangler Starling, willisattorneys.com. Okay, not much to talk about with Ohio State. Their defense is going to be the key to this team. I looked at their secondary candidates the other day. Uh, They have got a lot of guys whose names I've heard, but I don't think they really have anybody who's distinguished themselves. This is an odd year for the Ohio State secondary, and they've got a lot of guys back, like Lathan Ransom's back, and Marcus Williamson is back, and Marcus Hooker's back, and... A lot of guys back, but like when you say like who's the best player, like I don't know, like uh, they got some freshmen, and I'm mean, I'm sure they've recruited very 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 well, but just sort of at that point, and I knew this point was coming, and I think they knew it was coming too. You just cannot suffer the repeated early departures of guys in the first round of the NFL draft before you even anticipate they're going to leave. Like you anticipate they're going to leave as third year juniors or fourth year juniors. You do not anticipate when guys are going to leave as third-year sophomores. Those are guys who've really blossomed and are probably a little bit better than you thought they were going to be when they got on the field, and they've just lost too many guys. It goes all the way back, like Eli Apple, Bradley Roby, Denzel Ward, Marcus Hooker, uh, Marshawn Lattimore, just on and on and on, losing first-rounders who just really good guys, really good players. And um, now, eventually, you know, you 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 have a guy slotted. He goes early. All right, you put his backup in. He goes after another year. Now you're down to the backup's backup. And it'll take him a while to rebuild the... Now, what happens is, so they play young guys, and they get burned because they're young, and hopefully that was last year. And then, all of a sudden, when they get it, they all get it, and you're deep again. And then you've got like another little cycle to last you. And I think that's where they are. But always before when they've gone through this, they've had a pass rush that you knew was going to be lights out. Tyler Friday's injury up front is a significant loss. Doesn't mean they can't fill it in. And Tuomilau and Jack Sawyer, and they got guys. They got dudes. They got Zach Harrison, and they got Javante Jean-Baptiste. They got dudes. But, you know, just unproven, unproven dudes who are hungry, and that can be good, and that can be good. Linebacker, yeah, same kind of thing, you know, a lot of guys, good athletes, lots of opportunity, hungry, but proven, no. So defensively, that's they're not going to lose at Minnesota, not going to lose at home to Oregon, but could they give up more points than you're comfortable with? Yeah, yeah, they could. I mean, I could see them giving up, I could see them giving up 30 points in a first game or two, maybe both. But I think they'll be okay uh, because they're just going to score like crazy. Like, who's going to cover their receivers and who's going to be able to handle their running backs? Nobody's the answer to that question. Nobody. They're just loaded, and C.J. Stroud's going to have a great year. He's going to be the first-team All-Big Ten quarterback. I'll just make it a lead pipe cinch lock. 
Take it to the bank. C.J. Stroud, first team, all Big Ten quarterback. Okay, final read, and then we get into one more sports story and then the faith portion of the podcast. AUINFO.com, for those of you who have businesses, run your own business, even if you're a uh, what's called a group of one, a one-person shop, you're a consultant, you're a plumber, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a architect, whatever, if you run your own business, you should go online to auinfo.com and just ask them if you can get into a Chamber of Commerce health plan as a group of one, as a business. I don't know, but I know they know. And also, if you have anybody working for you, then you're a small business. You're two people and up to 50 people. And they are too. They're 17 people. And they specialize in HR and state rules compliance. And can I make this employee get the vaccine? And can I get rid of that employee if they don't get the vaccine? Or I got somebody who wants it and I got somebody who doesn't want it. And they don't, and they would absolutely won't work together. And that doesn't work for me. And how do I know who I can get rid of? And how can I be in the law within the confines of the law? AUI knows all that stuff and it's free, free. You get the information free, not one time, two times, all the time. And then they're paid by the people you choose, you choose, they don't make you choose. You choose to do business with. It's a great service, and man, they're great people. You're going to love Chrissy and the AUI team. AUIinfo.com. AUIinfo.com. All right, one more sports story. This one, this one surprised me. ESPN has beheaded Rachel Nichols. I mean, she's done. She has a year left on her contract. She's talented. Maria Taylor left. Maria Taylor, what a, what a vindictive addictive person Maria Taylor is. Maria Taylor decides she's going to enlist someone to release an audio tape of Rachel Nichols doing what any person in the world would have done. Hey, I'm all for affirmative action, but don't take my stuff away. That was what Rachel Nichols said. Like, Rachel Nichols is a woman, and she didn't want another woman taking her gig. And she made the comment, you know, I know they're all about affirmative action, and I support that, and I've been a victim of their sexism and stuff like that at ESPN, but don't take my gig away. She had it in her contract that she was going to host the NBA Finals. Now, on ESPN, after George Floyd, they wanted to have a black face as the female host of that program, so they put Maria Taylor in there. So Rachel Nichols is ticked. Well, they, they violated her contract. They breached her contract. I'd be ticked, too. You'd be ticked, too. She says this to LeBron James' manager, like, hey, I, what are they coming after me for? Like, you know. And Maria Taylor, somebody, by mistake, Rachel Nichols didn't know the equipment in her hotel room in Orlando at the bubble, broadcast that on a feed back to ESPN in Bristol. Some low-life scumbag tapes it. Maria Taylor certainly knows of it. There's nobody in the world ever make me believe Maria Taylor didn't know about it. And the person releases the tape around ESPN, so she's doing like a silent assassination of Rachel Nichols. They keep the lid on it for a while. Finally, July 4th, the New York Times gets wind of it. They run the story, and you know what happened. Rachel Nichols got taken off the NBA Finals, and they gave her sideline job to another black reporter. And now Rachel Nichols, with one year to go, is out as host of The Jump off ESPN. She will not appear on ESPN again. Now... I really don't have a hard and fast view of this. I have observations, okay? My first observation, in no particular order, is that this is this is unfortunate for Rachel Nichols. ESPN is small-minded. They should have allowed Rachel Nichols to come back to work because I personally don't think any, what she did was that bad. I think she was, you know, petulant, mad, 
you ought to get the benefit of the doubt when you've been as good a reporter as she has been for ESPN for all those years. Do I think Rachel Nichols is racist? No, that's ridiculous. Um, so there's that's part of it. The real villain in this is Maria Taylor. She is so outrageously overvalued as an on-air talent. She is, and I've thought this from the first time I ever saw her on TV, so outrageously overvalued. She is so average at her job. So incredibly average. Okay, that aside. There's also a part of me that goes, well, Rachel Nichols, you tried to climb aboard the woke train? Tweeting about, you know, all the LeBron James approved viewpoints of cultural, observational, political statements in the aftermath of George Floyd. And either ironically or opposite of ironically, you got run over by the woke train you boarded. You just did. You have a Twitter feed that is full of lots of things that probably ingratiated you to the wokest of the NBA mob. But when you needed them for friends, they deserted you because somebody one rung higher than you on the intersectional ladder, on the victimhood ladder, a black woman to your uh, white half-Jewish woman, trumps your ace and you are out at ESPN. That is the sad fact of it. Do I think Rachel Nichols will get another gig on the NBA? Maybe. Uh, I wouldn't hesitate to hire her. Does Turner need her? Does she want to do, does Turner need a sideline reporter? I mean, like, she has the misfortune of doing a job, NBA studio show, that nobody does better than the array of talent TNT already has. Ernie Johnson, Shaq, Kenny Smith, and Charles Barkley. They do not need Rachel Nichols on that show. And um, three of those guys are black. So if they take umbrage with Rachel Nichols and what she said about Maria Taylor, well, that would be an odd, that would be an awkward fitting, wouldn't it? So Rachel Nichols, you rode the woke train for a while, and now um, the phrase... Do not ask for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. And that's just kind of how things work sometimes. And I feel bad for her, but hopefully she has uh, been a judicious steward of her money. And she will be fine. I have very good friends who are very good friends with Rachel Nichols. And they say she is a very nice person. And I have no reason to doubt that. And, um, you know, that's just, it is the unfortunate gotcha culture we are in these days. I don't at all doubt that it will come for me sometime. It has before. I think I'm pretty protected now by the people I work for, but who knows? I'm not above saying something ill-timed and untoward and stupid because anytime you open your mouth on a live microphone, it's a possibility. Okay. With all of that said, Let's transition to the faith portion of the podcast. And I have been, um, I've been 
praying for some things going on in our family that are, they're not major things. They're just major to us. And as I contemplated them, I had to stop myself and realize that, sure, there are things going on that we'd like to have change. But there are also many things going on that are awesome. And we have a tendency as humans to look at our things we want fixed, things we want changed, and focus our attention on those. And it's understandable when they are things that cause uh, pain, uh, hurt, disappointment to people we love. There's nothing wrong with loving the people in your family. There is nothing wrong with wishing the best for them. There is nothing wrong with praying for them to experience improvements in certain things that are not ordered the way that you would ideally like them to be. But it is also useful in those moments to remember that there is a degree to all circumstances in life, and that unless you are amid some of the most difficult circumstances in life, the uh, death of a loved one, death of a child, uh, your own imminent death, uh, debilitating illness, the betrayal of a friendship or a relationship that you have treasured for a long time, um, the deterioration of your health, that everything else is next to that kind of, as Paul wrote, momentary light affliction. It may never go away. Paul also wrote about having a what he called a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble, to keep him connected to God. See, we often use the phrase, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? And I used to wonder about that. What is God's will for my life? Well, And I frame it in the sense of, wonder what he wants me to do. Does he want me to be a fireman? Does he want me to be a policeman? Does he want me to be a sports writer? Does he want me to be a broadcaster, a blogger, a podcaster? What does he want me to do? Well, I don't believe God cares a whole lot about what you do. I believe he cares a great deal about how you do what you do. And most of all, I believe God cares about us staying as closely attached to him as possible. And it is entirely possible that in our family's life right now, in your life right now, there could be something going on <clears throat> that is somewhere on the continuum of frustrating, aggravating, painful, really painful, that is useful, or God is allowing it in your life, he's allowing it to endure, because it keeps you attached to him. Because it keeps me attached to him. And... It's important for me to remember that. And as I was reading in John 7 today, what I'm really talking about is never forgetting who Jesus is and never forgetting what he has done for us through God the Father. Because if you keep your eyes on that, all the things that we're going through in our lives, and they vary from person to person, 
none of them can take away the reality of who Jesus is and what he did and what that will make happen for us all at the end of our life when we meet him in heaven. Case in point, in John chapter 7, verse 25, Jesus has been announcing himself as the Messiah by wowing people with his preaching. And his preaching is unlike anything they've ever heard before. And he's talked about things that they can't even fathom. He's talked about he's the bread of life, and he's living water, and they'll never thirst again. And he speaks in these terms that they're just like, whoa, this dude, like nobody's ever preached like this. Is he the promised Messiah? They're asking, and the religious leaders are asking, and they're trying to kind of figure out who he is. And so in John 7, verse 25, I'll read this to you. Some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Yet look, he's speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him, talking about the Jewish leaders. Can it be true that the authorities know that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. And they go through and they basically say to him, uh, you know, you can't be the Pharisees. are like, you can't be the Messiah because you're from Nazareth. Like everybody knows the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So if you know anything about the story of Christ's birth, you know that he was born in Bethlehem. But they didn't know he was born in Bethlehem, and they didn't ask. They didn't find out. They didn't try to find out. And that is a mistake that a lot of people are making in our world right now. They are not investing the effort to find out who is Jesus. What did he really do? What was that death that the Christians talk about? What was that all about? What was the purpose of that? They say that means something to them. They say that's transformed their life. What do they mean by that? And I know it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but the fact of the matter is people get wrapped up in who they are and what they're doing, and they get hoodwinked, fooled, lied to by Satan that, nah, you don't need to know that. You're okay. You're fine. You're fine. Another example of just that kind of thing that I'm talking about in John 8. Jesus is talking to them about uh, a famous thing. He says, if you continue in my word, then you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. He's talking about the truth of, I'm the Messiah. I've come to die for your sins. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise three days later. And your sins are going to be forgiven if you claim my sacrifice as atonement for your mistakes. You're going to be free. He uses the word free. And that word sets them off, man. That word sets them off. And they say, we are descendants of Abraham, the answered. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Well, let's, let's examine that statement. We have never been slaves to anyone. I mean... These are Jews. These are the people that were slaves in Israel that Moses led out of captivity. These are the people that the Babylonians had taken captive 
70 years in the era of Jeremiah. What are you talking about? You've never been enslaved by anybody. Like, yes, you have. Like people of all nationalities have been doing nothing but enslaving you and trying to enslave you. What a ridiculous statement. But they had so much pride in who they were that they deluded themselves into thinking they were already free when they weren't free. They weren't free in their heart. They weren't free of their sin. They weren't free of the guilt and the worry over, where am I going to spend eternity? And if you're that way, if you're not sure about your eternal destiny, then you can learn from these two instances. In John 7, find out who Jesus is. Find out what that death on a cross meant. Find out what that makes available to you. And like in John 8, examine your life, man. Are you really free? Yeah, I'm pretty good. You know, I think I'm pretty good. Like, I, Do you want to put your eternal destiny on, I think I'm good? Yeah, I, I think I'm good. You got hit by a bus tomorrow? Wouldn't you want to know for sure? If I walk out of this room and I collapse on my way up the stairs and I keel over dead, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going because I'm not counting on anything I've done to get me anywhere except I've accepted Christ as my Savior and that's going to get me everything in the afterlife because Jesus did everything I was unable to do for myself pay for my sin with his death and resurrection. So that's what I have for you, and I hope that encourages you, and I hope that moves you, and I hope that you respond to that. And just to tie it up in a tidy little ball, I hope that means you respond way more eloquently to my call to take that very searing, introspective look at your eternal destiny and respond in a phenomenal way, not in a lame way, like forming an alliance with counting on your good deeds, like the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12. No, man, ride with the big dog, ride with Jesus Christ. He died to forgive your sins. It's such a beautiful thing. It allows you to live with so much peace. I hope that for you. God bless. Talk to you Friday.